0: Time to Talk is hosted by me, Alex Holmes. This podcast is an exploration into what it means to be us. What is bringing our lives joy at the moment? How are we treating ourselves with more compassion? And what does it mean to be human? My guest today is Jack Guinness. Jack is a writer, model, and all-round upstanding man who is an inspiration to all who encounter him. While Jack is known for his modelling and his celebrity encounters, I was interested in his new book, The Queer Bible, a fully illustrated collection of essays celebrating the queer community and the individuals that shaped its history, with contributors such as Elton John, Graham Norton, Munro Bergdorf, Black Pride founder Lady Phil, and actor Russell Tovey, and many more. Jack talks to me about his own experiences with identity and his upbringing in London, as well as challenging homophobia in the modelling industry and other areas of his life. It's conversations like these that bring me the most joy. So I'm going to leave it there and invite you to please join me in speaking to Jack Guinness about his path to love, belonging and connection, as well as find out what it means to really be human. Welcome to Time to Talk, Jack. How are you doing? I'm really good. I have time to talk how are you holding up with the rain and the summer and the things and everything that's going on? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot, isn't
1: it? I mean, how's anyone holding up right now? Every day I speak to one friend who's losing the plot, like genuinely, really losing the plot. And I think we all had it in our heads that as soon as lockdown ends, all our problems would be over. And then we realized Mm. that they wouldn't be. And I think that in itself is a bit of a shock for everyone. It's not perfect, that we're not like dancing
0: around in paradise still weird still strange still strange we're recording this podcast's episode on the longest day of the year and it's usually quite sunny and if we look to our left outside is not (laughs) outside is not outside is not is it the longest day of the year today yeah it's the summer solstice see i never knew what that meant okay so today it's going to
1: be the longest rainy depressing day of
0: the year (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. This is what we work for. (laughs) Um, But welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's been a long time coming. Um, And um, it's amazing to have you here with us today on Time to Talk. Um, So I wanted to start with talking to you just about you. So um, I first met you at uh, Vero... And you know, listeners, you've heard me mention Vero several times, all the time. At the end of the show, <laughs> I'm usually just dropping the link to Vero. Um, I'm, I remember meeting you at a Vero launch, um, and in conversation, um, and that you were hosting, and it was really dope and it was really great. And we've been speaking, you know, ever since through through Vero, and we just and we've caught up and we've had such amazing conversations, and. I wanted to kind of get to know about what it means to f- you to be a man about town. Cause you've got this thing where you're like, <laughs> you're like Jack i I had no idea until I was like, all right, let me like, you know, let me let me look over and see what Jack's about. And um, you're just this man about town. Like, you know just, what? that just... is
1: a much nicer way of it happening that you met me for real. And then you found out that I was a twat rather than the <laughs> other way around. <laughs> Normally, oh people God. already hate me before they've met me, and then they meet me and they go. People's favorite thing to say to me is, "Oh, you're not as bad as I thought you'd be," and that's oh. that's the biggest compliment no. that, that I
0: get. No, I think this is the preferred way of doing it for sure. But I, but I find I find your social presence, like online, especially, just really fun and entertaining. And oh, that's lovely. good. And, and, yeah, and so, I think so, that you do come across. Yeah. yeah, Alex.
1: There's two parts. There's definitely the, the the going out, which was part of my job. Like really, mm-hmm. so so. You know, I was a model for fifteen years, and it was—I mm. was very ambitious. And uh, you, when you're a model, you start off as a new face, and then you might never make it off that board, and you might then just get chucked off. And then you move from new face to main board, and then mm. special bookings is this weird creature where everyone's supposed to have a talent, but if you look at the board, you can't really work out what anyone does. And I was like, how do I get off new faces? How do I get off? main board and how do I get onto the talent board and boom 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 and Mm. part of that for me was was going out making connections getting jobs through being out and about in London and I I find that for me and I think for a lot of people nowadays things have changed a lot is
0: Mm.
1: is there's a blurred line between your work and your and your social life and I think for a lot of people in every industry it doesn't matter what it is there's Mm -hmm. that element of 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 trying to get ahead through through extracurricular stuff and through social stuff. And I think that's actually quite stressful because we, we never turn off, we never know when to stop. Um, when is work not work? When is a friendship a friendship? When is it a work relationship? Mm, yeah. And you know, LinkedIn's made that even crazier now because it's like so you know, they've they've kind of social media work. So it's really all those boundaries is hard. It's hard to turn off, it's hard to know what's what's working, what isn't. So that's my, yeah. me, it looks like I'm going out and partying. And yes, I have done a lot of that, but a lot of it was work-based.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I remember- You believe that? Does that, I that do sound that sound
1: you,
0: you know me, <laughs> I'd I've be been, I've been believing, you know what I mean? But you know what, it's actually really funny because um, I get exactly what you mean. I mean, I worked as an entertainment reporter and I was typically in those places, obviously in the capacity of a reporter. So I couldn't necessarily- uh, Flex too much, I kind of did get thrown out of place. <laughs> like you, like why are you here? If you thing. didn't,
1: I wouldn't. That was impressive that you did. You should have done. We have,
0: we have stories to discuss after, <laughs> but yes, like um, but but it just sounds um, it sounds like that's a like is that a typical rite of passage for models to kind of have to if if you want to be a successful one to be socializing in the way that you did and to kind of have the connections that you. Did?
1: It depends. I think there's a lot of models that don't and they just do the work and they do the shoots and that's great I did that for a really long time but I didn't want to stay doing that Mm. and I think to maybe move to a different area to move your career on a little bit I think you you probably do have to do that and it's maybe a bit depressing that you do have to do that but it's about it's about being part of a community isn't it it's about Mm. meeting people that can them that you have a that you you get on with and that you want to work with. And I think Mm. if I just wanted to stay as just a model, just doing, you know, shutting up, standing still, getting my pitch taken, I would have just done that. But I, that was never my goal. You know, I never even wanted to be a model. I wanted to move on and and use that as a jumping off point. And Mm. I say that to people, I'm like, use whatever you've got now to move to where you want to be. Like, that's it. I didn't want to be a model, but I did it. And I'm very grateful that I had that opportunity but, you know, I I had my eye on the ball and I've, what's the next step? And I've seen a lot of models that have really amazing careers, but it's a really short life. And then
0: mm-hmm.
1: they're done and they don't have any interests because they didn't develop as a human being. They don't have like a grip on reality because they lived in this weird fake world. It's like, you've mm-hmm. got to, you've got to be thinking, what's my next thing? What's my next thing?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're really dope with that. I mean, you've been helping mentoring me with particular elements of kind of, goals and things like that and very, very um, clear visions kind of getting yes. that kind of clarity. But what was it that you wanted to do that before, if you don't mind sharing? No, no no, to- no, no.
1: Well, I think your your biggest issue is that you're good at loads of different things. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's annoying, an annoying problem to have because obviously... Mm-hmm. That's annoying. You're an annoying person being good at loads of stuff. But when you've got loads of options to narrow that down and work out what's your heart's desire, what's going to really make me happy, what's going to earn me money and fill my soul. That's a journey that takes a long time. The reason why I love sharing the limited stuff that I've learned is because... I didn't, have any, I didn't have many people doing that for me. I've had one or two people in life that have like shown an interest and tried to help me gather my thoughts and work out what, what I want to be, but I've never had a consistent mentor or someone that's mm. kept an eye on me in that way. So now I'm really, I'm probably a little bit too annoying with my advice. I need to shut up a little bit, but I Absolutely love I, anything I've learned. I'm like, please take it, please take it, please take it.
0: Mm. I,
1: I didn't really know, I knew I wanted to be an actor when I was younger. And I did, I met with agents. I would nearly get an amazing agent. I'd get an agent. I'd audition for stuff. I was the king of getting to the last two, the loads of things. And this is in my early twenties. And then I ended up reaching a point. And this is my dream. This is my life's dream. I had no plan B. I was like, I want to be an actor. I want to be an actor. I loved it. I loved it. I worked really hard at it. I'm, Mm. I'm very dyslexic. And I, learning lines is very, very difficult for me. I'm really good once I've got them, but getting them into my brain is really hard. And I got to the point where I was doing a rehearsal for a play and my lines wouldn't come. They wouldn't Mm -hmm. come. And it was so humiliating and everyone stopped and everyone was watching me and I just stopped on stage and I felt like this complete, it just felt like a piece of shit. I felt so stupid. I was so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I was so humiliated and I was so angry. I was so angry at myself. And I had this like, bad at expressing anger but I was absolutely fuming like I just wanted to like smash everything up I wanted to smash myself up it was horrible mm. and I felt a voice inside me say if this is too much you don't have to do it anymore like I know this is your dream but if this is if this is too painful for you you can stop now you don't have to beat yourself up anymore you don't have to destroy yourself you can stop and I felt this weight lift off me and I I just said, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop trying to do this. It's, it's killing me, it's too painful. And I really respect people that keep going and keep pushing until they get where they want to be. But for me personally, letting go of that dream and not admitting defeat, but like letting go of it and, and and letting life be a little bit different, taking a slightly different path, maybe letting go of some of that control, maybe not knowing what I'm going to be and who I'm going to be, but just maybe just take the opportunities as they come in front of me. Letting go of that fixed idea of this is who I'm going to be. This is, it has to look exactly like this. So I don't want it. Letting go of that control was the best freeing thing I've ever done. And now I meet people, especially actors and no disrespect to actors. I think it's an incredible craft and it's a mm-hmm. tough life. And I love a lot of actors. I've got a lot of friends who are actors, but there's like a neediness and a desperation. That I sense in them sometimes. And this like, love me, love me, like pain in them Mm. that I used to have. And I'm still needy and annoying and loads of terrible things, but I've let go of that like pained desperation. To be seen. To be seen and Mm. give me the job. And it's always in someone else's hands. It's always in Mm. someone else's control your whole life. And I don't have that anymore. And so weirdly long answer to your question Mm. is failing, letting go of a dream, was the best thing that ever happened to me because mm. it freed me from from that sense of control and that pain, and mm. it's weird, but actually disappointment and heartbreak was really really
0: good for me, yeah yeah it, it's out of the suffering and the and, and the perceived pain that comes the creativity in a really weird mm. way um what were some of the setbacks that you had in 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 modeling and because I feel Ooh. like I feel like there are going to be lessons to be learned, like, even if it is something. Because okay, backtrack two steps, I guess. What? How was it getting into modeling, and then what were some of the the barriers that you saw um, within the the industry when you went? Yeah,
1: there? great question. I I I. One thing that I think is really important to say about modeling is it's not weirdly it's not about being good looking because there's so many people that are much more handsome than me that could never be models because they're like, it's about having the right look at the right time. It's about luck. And a lot of the female models that I know, a lot of my straight mates would, weirdly wouldn't fancy them. They're not like traditionally attractive. There's like something quite different. You're looking for something different in a model. And for me, I had a beard and I had long hair and it was just starting to be cool to have a beard. And now it's gone on too long. (laughs) And I apologize to everyone for, (laughs) for the beard thing. It's not all me. It's partly Partly me and her, and, and <laughs> I had it. I had the beard and the long hair and there was only one other model that had that. So me and him in all of Europe were the guys that if you wanted a bearded model, we booked. So mm-hmm. it's a very good lesson for business, corner of the market and be indispensable, and try and do something that no one else does. For me, that was having a beard <laughs> and
0: long hair. Having a beard and long hair.
1: Not that, you know, it's not, it's not like Alan Schuker business school stuff. I just had long hair and a beard. But for, for me, what was tough about modeling is the... And what, what was great training for life is the constant rejection. You mm. get rejected to 99% of the things you apply for. You're waking up early. You're going all around London on the tube and the bus, going to meet people that treat you like shit, for the most part, that are quite rude to you. You have to suck up your... You just have to take it and then and then you get rejected and you don't get most of the jobs you go for and it That's is true. personal That's and you don't get it because of the shape of your face or they didn't like the way you walked and it's that rejection that you have to deal with and that for me mm. was really a good thing to process and go through because mm. it was very humbling and it and it kind of it makes you Makes you basically develop a strong sense of self and know that who gives a shit if people are rejecting you because of how you look.
0: I Mm. I really don't care about that. I guess it's the same. You kind of like left one, left your the dream that you had to be an actor, and you kind of moved into modelling. But with the same, it had the same lessons that you probably would have learned in acting, you know, because you would have gone to auditions and if they didn't like the way you spoke, they didn't like the way that you stood, they didn't like the, all that stuff, all that rejection, because I think that's something that models have in common with actors, which is why they, 100%. They, you know, they, they work in tandem in that way, right? I
1: feel that, yes, but I feel that it's easier in modelling maybe because they don't know anything about me. They don't know about my spirit or my soul or my personality. Like, yeah, I used to get jobs because I'd joke around and they'd be like, oh, do we want to go travelling for four days with this guy who's funny and making us laugh? Or do we want to go with that boring guy that was doing press-ups in the casting? They'll pick me. So I did get some jobs because of my personality. But Mm. I think actors are getting rejected because, like, they're looking into their souls Mm. and they don't like what they see or, like... It's. I feel like it's a bit more personal for actors. whereas for Are me, they
0: telling it's, the truth?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I feel. I feel like actors would start to really hate themselves if they didn't get jobs. Whereas I think for modelling, you can compartmentalise it a bit more and be like, that's just how I look. Who gives a crap? Mm-hmm. And also, it's, it's not even you. Like, when I looked at pictures of myself back in the day, I drew a line in my brain. I was like, that isn't me. That's a character that I'm playing that's not even an image of me. That's an image of this other thing, this other person. It's not real, yeah. and that stops you getting arrogant. It stops you being insecure. It helps, I think.
0: That is a very good piece of wisdom to get to, like a, for a, like, because people have these perceptions of models, especially male models. Mm. Um, just like, oh, you're vain. All you think about it is your look. A lot of them oddly, are. I mean, but it is your. <laughs> but I mean, like. It's your career, like that's yeah, it's your job. That's what you're. That's what you're selling. Like it's your job. It's your you product. Know? It's your product.
1: You know, it's mm. your product. You could be, you could be selling anything, but you'll just happen to be selling yourself, which is a, a, a that is. I mean, that is difficult mentally to process mm. a lot of the time. I used mm. to think, you know, the the Native American thing of every time you get your picture taken, it steals a bit of your soul. I used to think about that sometimes. They believe mm-hmm. that they believe that you shouldn't have your picture taken because it's, it's making an image of you and that's taking a bit of you of your spirit Mm. away Mm. and sometimes doing that job does make you feel a bit like that and obviously like it's who cares about male models like it's 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 not like you know it's not who like at the end of the day it's not saving the world it's a stupid job you're selling clothes Mm. to people like it's I don't feel sorry for myself. It's not too serious. But yeah. every now and then, when you were hung over, you would be like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> like,
0: mm-hmm. you're, selling, you're selling clothes. You're selling a lifestyle. And it's a lie. It's not it, real. And, yeah, you're selling an idea. I right? remember someone once said to me that they summed fashion up as
1: a, a poor Russian 15-year-old girl dressed up as a billionaire on a yacht for a photograph to sell clothes to other billionaires. Like, it's just not real. Like, the girl in the picture is dressed up in a £10,000 outfit with £1 million earrings on, but she probably can't even pay her rent. And mm. she's... Goodness knows where she's from. She's maybe not with her family. She's living in a new city. By like, it's not real. It's all smoke and mirrors. And yes, fashion can be really fun. And I really believe in the power of fashion to make people feel a certain way. It can connect you to your, your humanity. It can help you express yourself. I think fashion can be a brilliant thing, but at the end of the day, you know, it's the industry itself. It, it, it's about selling stuff, and you mm. do do get those moments of art and high art where you're creating something beautiful, like an image that could last forever. But a lot of the time, you're, you know, you're you're selling pumps mm. and
0: slacks. Selling pumps and slacks. <laughs> what was it? What was it like being being a man in, in that industry? I Me that, being, um, yeah. Because I was gonna actually, I was just because when you think of fashion, you think of gay you probably yeah. think fit, you probably think gay fashion fits yeah together were there any were there any kind of like any kind of homophobic moments hugely. In, in, within it and like hugely you know. i think i think you're allowed alex to be
1: um a gay fashion designer you're allowed to be a gay stylist but no one wants a gay male model or they didn't It's right. changed now but i think there mm. was a few things going on there one i was told constantly that brands only want to employ straight guys because straight guys won't buy clothes off a gay guy. They want to buy it off a straight guy. And the, the, well, the implication <laughs> there is that it's, it's not aspirational to be gay. It, mm. it, it, that was the, that, and, and that was the case of like race as well. It's like, mm. what is your idea of aspirational? And it was a straight white man. That's what our culture said was aspirational. Mm. That's what they deemed as the value that people should aspire to. And that's definitely changed now a huge amount in the last five years. I think social media's done that. I think the public have said, no, we want people that look like us. We want to see a diverse range of skin tones, of shapes, of sizes. And I love that, that's brilliant. But when I was working 15 years ago, it wasn't like that. And I was very much told to like straighten up, appeal to, to clients on, on castings and on jobs to really man it up, to lower my voice. And I was really good at that. And I, I was good at selling that, but it, was, it, it definitely affected my mental health because I was lying, basically. Yeah. I was lying about who I was and I was yeah. lying about who I was to, to, to sell myself, basically. So I'd spent my whole life coming to terms with who I was and then I put myself back in the closet for work. And when you, when you do that to yourself, you know, when you're harming yourself, that's the worst thing it's one thing if someone else is doing it to you when you allow yourself to do that to you when you submit to that that's very, very damaging i think
0: for mm. your for your mental health yeah for your well being for your well being mm. because you've got to then it's again it's like what you said about. So it's kind of what we're willing to compartmentalise and what we're not willing to compartmentalise, right? It's like some people can literally just go into... Like in any workplace, for example, you can go into their place and you just want to just exist in the place, just do the job and leave. Because then divulging parts of yourself becomes this thing that you're kind of setting yourself up for these really weird aggressions that will come back at you. Because, you know, if I, mean, I would imagine going in and then having to change or or express or explore and people are just like oh we don't want that we don't want this we you know and i just think that that's kind of one of the things that was really kind of interesting to me because i thought that things within like the creative industries especially places like modeling and acting and you know nowadays anyway for probably within the last 5 to 10 would have been a bit easier to express those things rather than it be rather than in places like I don't know, journalism or banking or whatever. You know, like, it's weird, but we do. I think of acting, I don't know why, but I do think
1: of, like, it as a slightly more gay industry. I definitely think of fashion as a more gay industry. I wonder Mm if statistically it is, or that's just a a preconception we have. I feel like it is. But it's, it's, it's the certain types of roles. Like, I think it's fine to be an out producer or a director it's definitely not okay still to be an out actor. And you see a lot of out actors that are like doing well, but you know, are they get mm. gonna get like the lead action man roles? Are they gonna get the lead romantic roles in a straight movie? I don't know. I'd like, lo- mm. I hope it's changing, but I know actors that are closeted, that are, mm. that don't just not talk about their love life, but actively pretend that they're straight. That's a mm. thing. I remember meeting an agent years ago and she sat me down and she was like, look, you can be out as you are and be the best friend in roles. And this is if I got any parts, which I didn't. Um, (laughs) You could be the best friend in the movie, in this (laughs) fantasy movie that I never got. Or you could be the leading man, um, but you can't be the leading man if you're out and you're gay. And she said that to me with no sense of like, oh gosh, I know this is a bad thing to say. Or like, oh, I know this isn't cool. She was like, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. And there was no apology for it. There was no sense that maybe that might be like a triggering thing for me to hear. And I will say though, just having to deal with stuff like that was good for me. I think, you know, people joke now about how sensitive young people are. I think a lot of the stuff I had to deal with was quite damaging, but it also toughened me up mentally mm-hmm. to deal yeah. with stuff.
0: Yeah. What do you think about today? Cause we're going to get onto Queer Bible. Yeah, sure. Moment. But like, but what do you think about today then? And you see um, shows like It's a Sin or Sex Education or, um, you know, Call Me By My Name and all those kind of amazing films with amazing queer stories and queer yeah. leads. Um, what do you think, what do you feel about that? When you look at that, you think, I'm here now, I've seen this much. This is what I'm seeing now. What do you do? What, do you, what do you do?
1: I love it. I'm so happy... I'm so happy for the next generation of kids that get to see more mm. representation of all types, of all types. I had Queer as Folk when I was a teenager, which was the oh, yeah. kind of thing that you'd watch like secretly without your mom knowing. That was great. Mm. And then now it just, it's becoming a lot more normalized. And I think that's brilliant. And I'm loving seeing out gay actors and queer actors, LGBTQ plus actors, mm. being able to play those roles. So something like Pose, where yeah, you're seeing so sorry, trans Pose actors portraying trans people you yeah. know not that long ago like white straight men were playing trans characters and winning oscars for them it was like that's how you get Oscar, you know play a trans person you'll get an oscar like it's kind of things are moving quite quickly now that seems a little bit unthinkable even mm. just this year it feels like things are changing so yeah. the f- that people getting to tell their own stories themselves is huge. And that's a big part of the Queer Bible, the project that I'm doing now with the the book coming up. It's not about me as a white cis, very privileged man, saying, this is who is important, this is who I think. I'm not a gatekeeper anymore. It's about creating a framework where other people can tell their own stories in their own voices for themselves. Like, I don't know what it's like to be a young, black trans person growing up in Brooklyn. I'm not here to tell that story on behalf of someone else. I want I want to hear that story. I want to learn. So when I see these new shows coming out and I feel that voices that previously haven't been past the mic are now getting to to tell stories and control those stories and control the creativity around those stories, that makes me really excited. I, and I'm very inspired by all of them. I think they're incredible.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. It's so amazing to see. Um, And I'm loving the representation and the diversity and just being able to just kind of just watch things and feel like, oh, okay. So, there are so many different stories that we can now have. Even then, even though, like, even when you're talking to people and you hear these stories, at least watching them. Like when Pose first came out, I was like, my, and I saw my my dad was watching it. No, and he loves he, he loves Pose. Really? I've never seen Pose. I've never watched Pose. I just came out and was watching it the other day. He's like, yeah, what it's a cool dad. And I was like, okay, well. This is interesting. <laughs> this is interesting. Um, so what do you think watching all, all these... Do you feel like things are changing? Like yeah, when we, I do. You, do you watch, like,
1: I May Destroy You? And Yeah, so I do Is it think just we're noticing it? Thinking. Have these stories been being told and we just weren't focusing on it? Or are things um, actually getting better? What do you think?
0: I do think that... Uh, I do think that things are definitely getting better. I do think that voices are now being put to the... F- but to the front now and people are, people are, it's it's weird. Cause it's like a part of me is thinking that a lot of it is capitalistic kind of, this is what, this is what's now in trend. Like yeah. we need, we need, you know, obviously when particular parts of history happen with me too, and then obviously um, black lives matter and then, and, you know, and uh, queer movements and LGBTQ plus movements and things like that, they all kind of, Came to the front of every industry, and we're like, where are we? Even even ability, people with different abilities and neurodiver, like everybody's come to the front now and been like, okay, so where are we? <laughs> sort of thing, yeah. and that's very that's super interesting. And when I uh, watching things like I May Destroy You, and you know, it's a sin, sex education, um, those are I think they're amazing to watch. Because what it does is it makes it much more. There's much more creativity in on screen, you mm. know. And I feel, I feel like growing up, I was bored essentially. Like it was boring to watch yeah. things. Like, yeah. I, like for a while, it was literally just. Well, you remember, I don't. You probably remember more so than me, but anyway, um, <laughs> I remember growing up, and it was like the bill yes um and there and there were like and there were gay scenes and gay characters on there and it was just this i i could sense at a very young age it was a very tense conversation to be having on tv that i should not be watching um things like things like um oh what else things like when you have inspector morse and it's just a boring old Man, <laughs> like literally going to going to solve crimes and all these different things, and it was just boring. But I was thinking, like, the, the, these are really boring things to have on TV, and I feel like nowadays, like, young people have so much more. To watch, I love, like, I love, um, just really <laughs> posing it as just from an interest point of view.
1: They're like, I want to hear from different voices and just different stories just because it's more interesting. And I, I, I love that. It's just like, no, don't care about diversity. I just want interesting stories. And that means that by definition, they have to be diverse. I love, right. I, I
0: like coming from a creative point of view. Yeah, it has to be, it has to be that. Um, so with the Queer Bible. Um, so this is, I want to say it was a blog you started. Um, yeah, it was a website. Went, yeah, blog it was a website makes it started. sound shit. It, yeah, it does. <laughs> Apologies, Jack. Um, <laughs> the website you started. The <laughs> website. <laughs> when, oh, that sounds it, really uh, good. Um, and I'm I like the queer Bible. Yes. And I know that you've got roots in, you know, like the church and things like that I have nature. deep roots in the church. Deep roots in that. What was that like for you, Taking spinning that, spinning spinning the bible yeah i mean
1: i i'm using the word bible as a guide rather um, than literally like the holy bible i'm not i'm not i'm not but i mean that's the word i'm not going there but i know i get this i get it and 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 i like that it's a bit uncomfortable and i like that it makes people go oh is that okay because maybe it's not okay i don't have the answer to that but i like having a conversation and i like talking about it and i like talking about religion because uh my dad's a vicar and my my all my uncles are vicars and my granddad was a vicar and all my great uncles are vicars and my great great granddad was oh, a vicar from a, you come
0: from a lineage of
1: it's a lot and i'm not <laughs> so there's a bit of me that wants to like speak to that heritage and that tradition but also do something for my community as well and if i can find a way to bring them together that's really exciting to me and I like mm. uncomfortable conversations, and I think mm. that's fine. And I like having uncomfortable co- conversations with LGBTQ plus people about religion mm. as mm. well. Um, a, lot of, a lot of queer people have been really damaged by the church. There are a lot of queer people that have, have a faith and are part of the church. Um, it's not a kind of either or situation. It's a bit greyer than that. It's a bit messier than that. And that's fine. And I think there's something for me, the, the queer Bible is basically to sum it up. I ask my heroes to write about one of their heroes, a queer hero. So you're getting like a, a buy one, get one free story. You're getting the writer oh. and then you're getting the the icon themselves. So in the book, I've got brilliant people. I've got um, Elton John writing about the drag queen, Divine, I've got May Martin writing about Tim Curry. I've got Graham Norton. I've got Lady Phil. I've got Monroe Bergdorf. Mm. So you get the, co- the contributor story, but then they're also writing about someone that may- meant the world to them. Someone that changed their life. Someone that made them maybe realize who they are and then accept mm. who they are and love who they are. So the essays are moving, they're funny. Some of them are quite rude and shocking. Um, but they're all about that sweet spot, that moment of becoming when someone Mm. really connects to the fullness of who they are in all its complexity. Mm -hmm. And going back to to your kind of question about the Bible, for me, I think it's about any marginalised group often are cut off from their own history, that, that LGBTQ plus stories have been erased from the history books. You know, there are a lot of famous people that, in the history books if you went on their official you know biographies they don't talk about their their queer identity they try and leave that out they get white they get they get um, straight washed and then also people have had to hide their own stories you know they for their own safety people have had to hide the, the the truth of who they are. And, you know, I I did that in my own life. People are doing that now all around the world and here in, in this country. So for me, it was about bringing those stories that have been hidden out into the light so that we can celebrate them and um, that queer people can celebrate them and also straight people can celebrate them and celebrate the contribution that queer people have made to our uh, to our society, to our culture, to our history. And I think for groups that have had their history like denied and excluded, connecting to that history is such an empowering thing. Mm. And I want like young people to realize that they walk in the footsteps of the most incredible human beings to walk the face of this planet. And I mm. want that to give them a sense of pride. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a snapshot of queer culture. It's only 24 essays. There's only so much you can cover with that. It's not all the history yeah. of, uh, of the LGBTQ plus people, but yeah, that's what, that's what the project is. And we've just got yeah. the book and it's just come out. So it's very exciting.
0: Was it fun collating all the essays? together I know I've been a part of essay collections and I know how that can be working with contributors and things like that what was it like building the book fun's not the right word I would say (laughs) I would say it was
1: humbling and enlightening and moving I now looking back on the project am very very proud and feel very positive about it I think looking at it, it looks probably a lot easier than it is, but Mm. each of the pieces has two illustrations attached to it. There are more illustrations throughout the book. Getting it all together and dealing with everyone's busy schedules was very, 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 very intense. And weirdly, if it wasn't for lockdown and all my other work stopping, I don't think I would have had the bandwidth or the time to make it happen and and do it to the standards that I wanted to do it to. So I, I, think, I didn't think I had any idea what I was taking on, really, when I came up with the idea. I was like, oh yeah, book of essays, how hard can that be? Turns out it's quite hard. But um, I'm, I'm very happy with <laughs> with the finished result. But um, my beard is definitely... I look more like Santa Claus than I did at the beginning of this project. Let's put it that way. So going really, it's, yeah, like it's a salt and no pepper. It's like a pepper. It's mainly salt pepper. now. <laughs> I look like... like a badger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be playing Santa Claus this Christmas, no question. Okay. I'll be... I'll be, um, De-colon-
0: decolonize what 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 Santa looks like. <laughs> de- de- decolonize Santa. Queering um, Santa. Queering Santa. Um, what was your essay about? I imagine yeah, you Alex. have an essay. Yeah, I do. You would definitely have an essay. I
1: forced. I, you know, I insisted. I said if I get if I'm doing a book, I'm in it too. Um, yep. And I wrote my essay on RuPaul, and right. I wrote about the concept of drag and what drag is and how there are different types of drag and how we all use drag in our own lives in different ways. Um, Go on. Well, like you were saying before about going to work and maybe only showing a little bit of yourself or creating some kind of guise for yourself, Mm. like a role that you play. And we all do that. You know, I have one role that I am with my family. I have another role with certain types of my friends. I've got another role with my gay friends. I've got different Different bits of me that come out. Yeah and when I go out to a work event I'll put on an outfit and I'll become a slightly different character that's drag you know drag mm. at its core is about playing with gender really but to me I think it's bigger than that I think it's playing with identity it's about playing with the different bits of ourselves and when I talked before Alex about the idea of you know when I was straighting it up for want of a better phrase it, on modelling jobs and in fashion I was putting on drag it was just a, a fucked up weird type of drag it was like a straight drag it was like a, a bad drag really because mm. drag's really about exploring who you are i was hiding who i was so i was like using anti drag so i did i wrote about the parallels uh of that with 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 RuPaul's career and kind of what i've learned from RuPaul about his his message of uh, exploring identity and self-expression through through what you wear and through performance um, so yeah it's it's quite a personal essay I mean I've probably this is the interview I've been most serious about in my life like even just in this conversation I'm talking about stuff I don't normally talk about these are things I don't you know I normally joke stuff off and I laugh stuff off this is this is me really going there and in the essay there's a similar thing I think a lot of my friends that read it will recognize it but they'll be surprised at, at, at kind of uh, how open and honest I've been. So it's, mm. you know, the essay collection is really celebratory. Like, fundamentally, it's, a, it's fun and it mm. makes you happy and it kind of makes you want to dance. It's got this feeling of a party. But within that, just like within the queer experience, there, there is a lot of pain and there's a lot of trauma. Mm. And the celebration, the pride, the dancing comes as a way of processing all of that. Mm. You know, the queer experience to me is 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 one of joy and celebration through pain and through difficulty uh, about finding out who you are and accepting who you are. And I think everyone goes through that. That is a universal experience of mm. who am I and how do I be that person to the to the fullest? And that's a very painful experience, but when you sure. get there, it's a great feeling.
0: Yeah. I cannot wait to read it. I need to get my hands on a copy. Um, one thing I did want to add to this, because I know we've got to push for time, but I really want to get this question in. Um, What is your take on masculinity and the way that you think about it um, based on your experience? That's the
1: biggest question I've ever been asked in my life. I I don't know what masculinity is. I know how I've experienced it and how I've tried to portray it. Mm. I think we've all tried to portray as men, masculinity from, from either how we've been taught about it or how we haven't been taught about it. You know, we've maybe had gaps that we've had to fill in ourselves. I definitely didn't have male role models that I felt were the kind of men I wanted to be. There was either, they were too violent and too scary, too masculine in a stereotypical way, or they were maybe too, too weak and too absent Um, And I definitely have fought to find a middle way through that and find out what my idea of what a man is. And I think that's an ongoing journey and an ongoing process that will never end. You know, until the day I die, I'll be trying to work out what type of man I want to be. What I see in my friends, especially my straight friends is them wrestling with a kind of toxic concept of masculinity and it's something that you your work is brilliant about speaking into in a way that men can hear and feel they can be part of the conversation the idea that we've actually been given a lot of ideas about masculinity that hurt us and that are not helpful for us and that trap us basically it's like that fake drag that i talked about before i think loads of straight men are playing drag in this kind of weird Perverted form of drag where they're trying to portray a sense of masculinity that they think is going to protect them, that's going to um, make them attractive to women, that's going to make them threatening and um, like uh, looked up to by other men. And one of the main issues with that is the isolation that it creates I see in my in my straight friends the idea that people that men aren't talking about their feelings, they're not feeling that they can be vulnerable, and that leads to a buildup of huge stress, huge anger, huge shame that is not expressed in any kind of a healthy way and eventually results in terrible things like in in suicide and so I think as men, whether you're straight, gay, trans, whatever type of man you are. We need to be having these conversations with each other, holding each other to account, being there for each other and allowing each other to be bigger men, different types of men, messy men, men that maybe don't fit into these neat little categories, um, men that can be vulnerable, men that can express the pain that we, we all go through in our different ways. And, and to me, masculinity is about being truly vulnerable, and finding strength in that, and they're not being shame in that. And I think that we need to find places of community. And your podcast and your work is is one of those safe spaces where men can come together and and, and just be real. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that's what it is. I don't really have a neat pat answer, but those are the yeah. those are the topics that I feel we need to address as as guys.
0: Yeah, and that's how I've always been. I've always been like, what the one thing we have in common is that we are all men. I think first and foremost, and I think that's the kind of, that is the, to an extent, that is the kind of things that I see women do. They're like, well, we are women. Come together, you know, let's kind of move forward and see how we can make a better world for us and our children and the people that we love. And that's the kind of thing that I'm, at. I'm just like, we're all men. Like, we need to have these conversations so that we can learn about each other better. And then we can at least make it Conscious community decision to go together. That's very idealistic. Um, men are stubborn, and you know, typically society has kind of created us that way in 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 a sense. But again, it's, it, it's a slog to get to to get Alex,
1: I think we do it to ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. I think we we, yeah. we take on all the stuff from society, and we we do it, and we do it to each other, and mm-hmm. we police each other. And I think we all just we need to like let up a little bit on ourselves. I think yeah. people. I I, I don't think people realize quite how hard men can be on themselves and how tough they are on our, 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 we are on ourselves. I think we just need to be a little bit kinder. And I think we do need to find those moments that, you know, we come together weird moments, like men come together in like a football match or like, me with my mates, when we're drinking, we're out drinking. We find these ways of kind of letting off the valve, you know, letting the steam out. But we need to find more healthy, better ways of doing that. And, I, and, I, and your podcast, and I thank you for the work that you do for the male, male community that you're building. You're a community builder. And thank you. And you, you really, Alex, and, and, I, and I really want to thank you and affirm you for that because it's really inspiring and it's what we need and we need more of it. So, so keep, keep going. I'm thank a
0: fan. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. For Likewise Thank to you yourself Steve. for Thank all the you stuff that you're doing. It's been amazing. Okay. And are there any books that you would want to suggest to listeners to get into outside of the queer Bible? Yeah. Um, of course,
1: number one is queer Bible. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I've got two. I've got one, which is a book that I recommend to all my friends that have got out of touch and out of love with reading. I go through phases in my life where I'm crazy and I just read a book every two days and then I can go for, four or five months where I don't read a book. And this book gets you back into reading. It's also a brilliant book for when you've kind of given up hope a little bit about life. And if I had a friend that felt emotionally dead, this is the book to kind of restart your heart. This is like a defibrillator in book form. It's called The Elegance of the Hedgehog. It's a French book. Um, It's a story about an older lady and a little girl. And even though it's weirdly, it's It's about two women. It is a universal book. I think men would love it as well. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. philosophy in there and there's a lot about why why you should live. Like what is beautiful about life? And it's beautifully written. It's easy to read. It's, It's readable, like you want to keep turning the pages. And it's one of the books that I go back to every now and then. And I absolutely love. So The Elegance Mm -hmm. of the Hedgehog. And I think it's Muriel Spark. I'm not sure. Maybe check that. And the other other book I've got is The Velvet Rage by Alan Downs. And The Velvet Rage Rage is a book about um, the trauma of growing up gay, but in a straight world and what that does to you. And it's brilliant for if you've got a gay mate, LGBTQ plus mate, and you want to understand their the makeup a little bit more, it's a brilliant book. I think it's a book that, that everyone should read. Um, and it's fascinating. But if you're LGBTQ plus, it will blow your mind. It's like a, one of those books that kills you every two
0: pages. So those are my two books. <laughs> All right. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the episode. Guinness, where can people find you? And where people, people can find, find me the book? At, at
1: Jack Guinness on social media and at Queer Bible. And you can find the queer Bible wherever people buy great, brilliant books.
0: (laughs) Do you like Guinness?
1: (laughs) No, I do. Have you ever had it in Ireland? Have you ever been to Ireland? No.
0: Okay, so it tastes. Islands on on my list of places. Oh my,
1: Ireland's like the best place ever. When you go there, you just feel like you've come home. And and if you drink Guinness in Ireland, it tastes really different and it's incredible. I love I love a pint of Guinness every now and then.
0: Okay, amazing. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the
1: show. No, Alex, thank you so much.
0: You just listened to Jack Guinness. His book, The Queer Bible, came out in June 2021 and can be found in all good bookshops. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.